I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Old Lady Speaks podcast on Black and White and Red All Over. This is your host, Danny, coming to you for episode number 20. And I know I usually list off one player, but seeing as this is number 20, and the number 20 has been quite the the magical number for Juventus players, I will just list a few, if if you guys don't mind, before I bring in the, the crew here. We've got Sebastian Jovinko. We've got Sergio's favorite, Marco Piazza. We've got Raffaele Palladino. We've got Davide Lanzafame. We've got Jao Cancelo. We've got Luca Toni. And of course, Simone Paduin. So with that, number 20 is living in infamy at Juventus. So let me bring in all... Shoot, we got a full house today. So I'll start with Sam Lepresti. Hello, Sam. How dare you... How dare you put Padoin in the in, in the list of infamy? <laughs> well, he is the Lord. So. Padoin is our Padoin is our God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How's it going, Daddy? Returning after a, a weekend of rest, we've got Chucks. Hello, Chucks. Yeah, hello again, everyone. Uh, glad to be back. And uh, to quote one of my favorite songs by one of my favorite songs uh, by one of my favorite shows, rather, "I'm the stone that the builders refused. I'm their visual, the inspiration." That's uh, from the Boondocks, by the way. So, hello. <laughs> Hello, and we've got Sergio Romero. Hello, Sergio. Hey, fellas. How you doing? And as we teased at the end of last week's podcast, we've got our occasional drop-in guest, the Austin, Texas's newest grill master and 
Chicken Wrangler, Hunter Sharpless. Hello, Hunter. Hey, guys. What's up? Happy to be here. So this weekend, or this past weekend, I should say, didn't exactly go as uh, grand as the season opener. Obviously, a 2-2 draw over Roma where Juventus had to battle back not once but twice. And some interesting things happened along the way, to say the least. So I will start it out with the man who probably has been the most skeptical of Andrea Pirlo as Juventus manager since he was hired, Mr. Chucks. A couple takeaways for you, and we'll get things going right there. <laughs> I, feel, I feel kind of bad <laughs> that I've become, I've become known as that. It really wasn't my intention. Your I mean, reputation is already stuck Yeah, to I mean, it really wasn't my intention to be like, you know, to be that guy. But I don't know, you know, I just kind of try and bring some balance, I guess, or just some kind of, I don't know, just some kind of uh, <laughs> contrarianism or devil's advocate. Nism. Uh, but anyway, um, I'll give kind of one main takeaway, and I guess I can sum it up in one word, which is uh, indecisive. I think Birlo was just very, uh, the lineup, the tactics were just indecisive. I mean, he, to me, it seemed like he didn't really make up his mind. So, all right. So clearly we have this very complicated situation with uh, our fullbacks. You know, we just don't really well, I guess we have enough technically, but we just don't have the caliber of fullbacks that we would like. So, okay, then match day one, he goes with uh, uh, Frabota, which, you know, did well. And then now he benched him. And then, okay, so we don't have anyone on the left. And then you put someone that's really never on the left, put Cuadrado there on the left. And then just from the, the starting lineup, I mean, I think, we were all speculating on, well, is it a 4-2-3-1? No, it's a 4-3-3. No, it's a 3-5-2. No, it's a 3-4-1-2. It could have been, frankly, anything. And it sort of was anything and everything. And so, yeah, then, you know, the Cuadrado situation on the left. And then Kulusevsky played well first game in central position. Now he puts him in a wing-back position. That was also seemingly in, a bit indecis- indecisive. Morata back. Uh, good to see him. I've always liked him as a person. Didn't do so well either, but some were saying, well, maybe we rushed him into into the starting lineup. I mean, he only just signed, what, less than a week ago, I think. So it, it just reminds you of a situation where coaches have all these really, really, really good players and you want to play all of them at a time. And you're like, well, let me just put him there so that he, he can he – can, Kulusevsky can play on the right wing, right wing back-ish position. And Cuadrado, yeah, let's just put him on the left then. And then just trying to shoehorn all your best players into the side because you just, once again, just kind of can't make up your mind. So that was, that was my main takeaway, just the indecisiveness, I think. What about you, Hunter? What are you, what are you taking out of this one? Yeah, there, there was a lot, of good, a lot of good stuff. Really interesting to see... The, those two games back to back against Samp and, and then Roma, I actually thought that there was a fair amount of continuity, which to me was encouraging. It'll be interesting to see what we do next week. The, the main two takeaways for me, one, I think against good competition, i.e. not Sampdoria or Parma or somebody terrible, I think the, the team needs, Pirlo needs to have a playmaker in front of that back three to, to facilitate movement going forward. Uh, again, Sampdoria, it was fine for Benucci to step up, and he had a ton of space. Against Roma, 
Njeko presses really well. He marks really well. He, we, we all, of course, thank him for the single point that we earned because he missed a couple, a couple sitters. But he does what really good nines do, which is you know trouble the center backs and and not let them you know not afford them acres of space. When that happened, especially, I think the final 30, we, we did a little bit better with it. But earlier in the game, Waj was touching the ball way too much. He would kind of like give it to Benucci. Benucci would send it back to him. There was just no, there was just nothing moving forward. I think Arthur helped out a little bit and Benton Core, of course, getting those guys in there. But the McKinney-Rabio duo did not have that ability. The second thing, and um, Chuck's kind of touched on this a little bit, but I think we need to find a balance between aggression in winning the ball back and retaining formation defensively. It seemed, you know, that offensively we were kind of going with a sort of 3-5-2 look and defensively it was sort of going into a 4-4-2 look. But there were so many times, like when McKinney and Rabio converged on the same person you know on the same Roma player who had possession who easily sprayed it out wide or, or something like that really they they punched through the Juventus midfield way too easily you know I get wanting to win the ball back Pirlo's talked a lot about wanting to do that but you can't just flounder out of shape because it leaves you really really vulnerable and Juventus were were lucky not to have have conceded uh, one or two more times because of that yeah, I I definitely think that that's that that balance which we had for the most part against Samp was the thing that was really missing on on Sunday against Roma, and and I also thought that there were just a couple of players that were that that like you said, Chucks weren't really in the best places for them. The thing is, I I'm I'm not too upset about that in this particular case, just because like I said in my recap, the nature of this season has prevented Pirlo from being able to do the the tinkering and experimentation that you usually would see before a season. You know, in you know, in a normal year this this lineup would have come out in an ICC game in China against like Tottenham or Manchester United or something. And we would all, you know, be able to gauge what you know what its effectiveness there and in a setting that didn't mean much because of the you know the situation of the world Pirlo's being forced to do this in games that matter you know in games like this one against Roma the thing I will say and Danny you touched on it when you did your initial reaction piece was there was a grinta and a stick to to this team that seemed to have been starting to little bit to leech away a little bit in the both the last year of Allegri's tenure and definitely last year you know if we'd given up that goal that second goal against uh, Undersadi last year things would have started to go south and you know especially after Rabiot got got that second yellow which i personally think was ridiculous but you know that's that's you know That'll be the subject of another debate. I think the the team kind of buckled in and said, "All right, now we got to do this." And with 
maybe one or two exceptions after that point, there wasn't, especially in the last hours or, or last 20 minutes or so of the game, once, once Ronaldo scored the equalizer, Roma didn't have too much in the way of danger. We didn't necessarily either, but that was, I think, a, a function of Pirlo very much saying, we're down a man away from home, we're tied, let's just take this point and call it a point earned, which I think was the right decision. If he had you know, tried to throw on Pauli Dybala and go for broke late in the game, I think that would have been a mistake. But there's something of a drive to this team that, we, that I don't think we saw last year with Sadi. And I think that, from a mental standpoint, is going to benefit everybody going forward. I, I kind of agree mostly with, with points that, that you all made, you know, so I don't want to kind of like go back and, and say the same thing here. But, you know, number one, massive shout out to, to secret agent Eddie Checo, because if he is, you know, I mean, if he's good, like, like Hunter mentioned, like if he's good, he, he like we're talking about a, a 4-2 or something dropping. So shout out to him, you know, being a huge part of Juventus, even though he's not a Juve player. But, you know, th- that one really jumped out at me. And, and also, as Chuck's mentioned and Sam mentioned, just the fact that, Again, and I completely agree with Sam there that it makes sense. Obviously, they didn't really have much of a preseason, but I also kind of and and I'm the the guy that was like all 100% on the on the Pirlo appointment. But I, I do think he got a little bit too cute with the whole let's line up Juan Cuadrado on the left, where you know he he has never really played there. That was just, I mean, that was just really came out of nowhere. And even before the game, I think the the main, you know, account of, of the of the blog was tweeting, like, I don't think, I don't, Danny essentially was saying, like, I don't think he's going to play on the left. I think it's just one of those things where they just throw the I, lineup and then they just guess. I had no, I had no expectation of him playing on the left. And then, of course, he played on the left. So, I mean, going off of what we saw last week where, I, what was it? They posted a 4-4-3, I think. Or yeah, whatever, I think. Whatever it was, it was just like, here, here they go again. They're, they're just messing yeah, with that, us. And that, those Twitter graphics are not going to be reliable at no, all this year. No, I'm, ca- you're, I'm you're, calling yeah, it right no. now. You're going to have to wait until the first couple of minutes to find out what the heck the actual formation is. Yeah, so, so that, that was just, to me, like getting way too cute with it. The, the Kulusevski on the right, right wing back position, I kind of get, get that. That made sense to me. You kind of have to try that. He didn't play bad, but he wasn't like – I don't think you're really fully – taking advantage of that guy's skill set playing there. Uh, it was just, it was one of those things where I was like, okay, I can see where you're going for. It's like, it was like a FIFA lineup. You know, I'm just going to try to, like Chuck said, like I'm just going to try to put everyone in the lineup and see how it works. And it kind of didn't really work all that well. And and we can go go after this, but, you know, the, the fact is that the, that defensive kind of like frailty, that 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 thing where they're like it sounds very simple you know like whenever you lose it you try to get it back really fast like that sounds great but i i think right now it's not fully there yet and we saw it against Sampdoria at times and we definitely saw it against Roma the teams that are playing Juventus are always one through pass away from a, a you know a one on one counter attack they're always one lofted pass away from getting like clear clear lanes to run against against the Juventus goal, you know, and with Giorgio Chiellini and Leonardo Bonucci, who are not particularly quick center backs, 
that worries me. That has been like a common theme. And, you know, I, it's obvious, again, caveat, 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 you know, it's, it's early, they're tinkering, you know, all of that. But it, it has been like a common theme of both games that kind of has me I mean, slightly worried, I would say. And, and we saw that against Roma pr- pretty early on. Mkhitaryan had that really, really nice run. You know, Tech made a nice save, but it was, it was also not, a, not the tidiest finish. Benucci did that. I love Benucci. I think Benucci's great. He's, he's going to be important, especially in this three-man line, because he can be he can move the ball better. So I think that he's going to be super important. But I, there is very little I hate more than his, like, hunched-over butt-stopper position. <laughs> like, the dude – the dude – it's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And, and I, it is. It, it is doesn't work. Joke. It's so it's such low percentage defending where and he does it so often. And I remember somebody in the comments section a few weeks back, I think he did it against Novara in the friendly, and it's just like and I'm like, why does he still do it? And I had to explain what it actually was. And it's just like if you haven't picked up, that's like one of his go to desperation moves now. And they're like, Well, Cannavaro always did it. I'm like, Yeah, well, Cannavaro is a you know, another class defensively than Benucci. So you know, for one of the best defenders of our generation to do it. Yeah, that's fine. But Bonucci rarely gets it right. Also, key word, the desperation move. Like, that's yeah. not your go-to move to try to deflect the pass. Like, but he does it all the time. It, it, is, it is kind of maddening, to be honest. I, I, you know, like we already said, I think that the center backs against Roma were under a lot of duress because that midfield fell apart defensively so fast. So, I... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of be optimistic, like, moving forward. Obviously, getting DeLict back is going to cover many, many sins as well, both because of his pace and his ability to cover a lot more ground than those two. But, you know, I'm thinking and hoping that Pirlo realizes, like, and the squad realizes that they can't just go for broke every time the opponent touches the ball. Those midfielders will need to to not let that so much space uh, exist ahead of the center backs when Benucci is doing the. It looks like some like stupid like bird mating ritual that that's like only found in some kind of like rare jungle somewhere, and it's like not even like a good bird. I don't know. Certainly not the chickens you have in your backyard, Honor. No, no. My chickens would never look that stupid. Tell me how you really feel, man. <laughs> Chucks, how did Hunter do on the delict pronunciation, by the way? Oh, uh, perfect. Perfect. And then it was, you know, added to by the scathing remarks of Bonucci, <laughs> uh, which, you know, funny enough, it does remind me actually of Paolo Maldini quote of, if I have to make a tackle, I've re- already made a mistake. Which, yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of, yeah, that desperation move indeed is kind of indicative of that indeed but yeah no i just kind of want to go back very briefly well to two things actually one thing is with quadrado which it's funny you know because i've made the comparison with quadrado that he's he's kind of like well speaking of another dutch unpronounceable name he's kind of like the dirk out of you know well, of Juventus, I guess, in the sense that, you know, their guy started as a right wing forward, if I remember correctly. And then he progressed one line back to kind of, you know, defensively oriented winger. And he dropped another line back. And at a point, he was even a right back. And uh, I mean, he played all over the place. This is likewise with Cuadrado. He started as right wing and then kind of went 
back to right midfield and then went all the way back to right back and of all places now on the left wing sort of ish he's even played i think if i remember correctly Cuadrado even played very briefly in central midfield sort of sort of as a mezzala in a few games i don't know if i, I mean if i remember that correctly but i think i do the manchester city game in the champions league yeah away. yeah 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 and and i and i think a few more occasions so yeah so he's kind of the uh, you know the everything man there and indeed <laughs> with aiden jaco i thought it was kind of ironic. I, I, I felt for him, really. Because technically, honestly, I thought he had a brilliant game. Like, he, I mean, the hold-up play was really, really fantastic. He harassed the daylight out of, well, Bonucci and Chiellini. Um, and was just excellent at, you know, streamlining all Roma attacks. So I thought he was actually really, really good. But then, ironically, <laughs> he was bad at the one thing that he's hired to do just score goals so that i thought that was a kind of a painful irony and and really it's kind of indicative of the whole issue with strikers these days which is you know these days strikers can't just be uh fox in the box they can't just be you know number nine that just kind of sits there and then for 89 minutes doesn't do anything and then for one minute scores a goal now strikers have to be involved and you know pass and play and you know give assists and all that so technically in terms of a modern day striker you had a good performance but then in terms of i guess the kind of more common definition of a striker which is to score goals he uh he botched it so uh thanks aiden thanks uh, or should i say thank you 007 i do love how that one where he hit the post came after he threw quadrado to the ground by the back of his neck like i really really hope that marco di bello didn't blow his whistle on that just because he figured it was a goal kick and it didn't matter like, if that had gone in and it stood, that would have been ridiculously bad refereeing. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Rant over. I wanted to throw something out and see if you guys agreed with me on this because over the last, you know, couple hours reflecting on things, I think, you know, one of the biggest questions that we've had in these first couple of weeks is how does Paolo Dybala get integrated into this especially if Pirlo's going to stay with this 4-3-1-2 kind of a thing. And I think we probably got a little bit of a clue yesterday, but then the red card kind of threw everything into off-kilter. Because Pirlo's first substitution, he takes off Morata and puts on Douglas Costa. Again, don't quite see where Douglas Costa comes in a, in a front two. That doesn't seem right to me. I mean, he did end up kind of helping out he had the hockey assist on Ronaldo's second goal, but 
if you're taking out Morata in that in that position, say that Rabio doesn't get sent off, and you're in a position where you want to put on Dybala as another attacking player. Well, you're not taking off Ronaldo in that situation. So that the move there has to be Dybala replacing Ramsey in the hole. And I think my reading on that, that's where we're probably looking at Dybala, at least in this formation. And I want to know if you guys think that that's... It, I want to know if you guys think similarly than I do in that case. I do think that that is his most likely spot, though that that is not where I would like to see him play. When you know, obviously, this this the sample size is so small that this this might be completely wrong. But whenever we did see this this new Juventus kind of like look really good against Sampdoria, it was when Ramsey was in that spot, just because Ramsey is. Like he is a midfielder. He is the type of guy who can give you a lot of offensive power, but who can very easily track down, who can very easily do that that work of actually like like I mentioned before that is Pirlo's mindset, right? Like whenever they lose the ball, he can go and get it. Like he's actually good defensively. And whenever they were actually like switching back to the defensive mode, he can switch back and do that fairly easily, which is something that I'm not sure Paulo Dybala can do. I mean, we, we saw that last season whenever they needed whenever Sarri needed them to press. He he was never really good at that. That's not what he does well. I I would actually, I, I think that the best player to fill in that kind of like place in the hole would be a, a guy like Ramsey, would maybe even be a guy like Kulusevsky who has that physicality to kind of like not only attack, not only give you that going forwards, but also defending, which from what I gather from, from the early returns of the Pirlo era is what, Andrea Pirlo is looking for in that position. Also, I would really like to see Paulo Dybala kind of like as that second striker. He already played there when when he first came into Juventus. He kind of was that second guy along uh, Mario Mandzukic, and he was really good at it. Like he can really do that. He can really be that second striker type of guy. It's his natural position, I think. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think he can really, really thrive there. And with Ronaldo up front kind of, like, taking that, the the brunt of the attention, I think he can really thrive there. I think he can really be good there. And not necessarily as this makeshift trequartista type of guy, which I think he could do, but I'm not sure he could do the defensive side of it, which, again, from the early returns, seems like an important part of that, of, like, that setup that Andrea Pirlo is trying to do. Yeah, I... I think that no matter no matter where Dybala ends up playing, like we've already seen with Pirlo, this is going to be a pretty fluid situation uh, up front. Uh, it, there's going to be a lot of fluidity. So whether he is, you know, technically the uh, the Cortisa or technically the second striker, I think imagining a front three with Ronaldo, Dybala, and someone else, I think that there's going to be a lot of exchanging and a lot of kind of um, movement between especially Dybala and that, that someone else. Like Sergio said, you know, you need somebody with, with Dybala and Ronaldo on the field at the same time, you get defensively flimsy really, really fast. So you need a Kulisevsky or, or Ramsey will at least run a lot. So you need somebody who's going to, going to do that. I, I start to get like, pretty hesitant imagining like Murata will press well, but I, you know, Kulisevsky is a better, in my opinion, defensive presence. I get really hesitant about, you know, 
Ronaldo, Dybala, and another one of the, you know, like Morata or Douglas Costa, who may not be with the club this whole, you know, this whole year, whatever, if he gets sold. I just think you really have to watch out for going kind of two to guns blazing against actually, you know, good teams that will possess the ball and possess the ball well. Yeah, and if I can add to that, I mean, I, I totally agree with that, Hunter. And I think we have to remember that one of the main gripes we've had for months now, I guess, is the midfield. And kind of as an extension of that is just the fact that uh, under Sari, we were defensively, I mean, we conceded our, you know a record number of goals since I don't know how many years that was. So, okay, sure, you could say that since we defend or since we conceded so many goals, I was down to the defenders. Well, I mean, defending is a team game just as attacking is. So you have to look at the midfield and of course at the attack as well. So if you have, like you said, Hunter, if you have Ronaldo, Dybala and, uh, you know, Morata, then, I mean, you're really, you are shifting the defensive burden almost entirely to the midfield and, also then the defense but really you're shifting almost entirely the defensive burden uh, as that first shield of defense to the midfield and I will admit I mean our midfield is definitely a lot better this year definitely in terms of personnel looks you know I mean a lot better and that makes me happy (laughs) but I still think we want to be careful with that and I think evenly spreading out the defensive burden across the three lines of the team. And then kind of as a side note to that, slightly related, slightly unrelated, but I think it was either Fefu, and I think I quote him more than anyone nowadays. Um, you quote or, him more than Tim Vickery, that's for yeah. sure. Yeah, he's definitely, he's definitely overtaken Tim Vickery as the, the drink guy. Yeah, I'm a uh, man gosh, too. I'm, drink guy. I'm an equal opportunity quoter. So, you know, <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> let my people speak, I'd say. <laughs> Your Majesty, I will let my people speak. But no, I think it was either him or J.D. Ankasa, if I said that correctly. That said that, you know, okay, the honeymoon period after the Sampdoria game is, you know, we kind of have to get past that and realize that defensive, we still have issues defensively. Uh, We still, you know, definitely have weaknesses defensively. And to which I then think, okay, is that, as I said, due to the defensive line or is that, Dude's just kind of the defensive burden being too much on the midfield slash defense. And I think going back all the way back to your original question, uh, Sam and Hunter actually, is that if we then, if we put Dybala behind like two strikers, then I, I mean, I think we're playing with fire there. I mean, I think it will work against like Spezia and Benevento or something, but you know, uh, yeah, you're playing with fire if you're going to do it against Roma, Napoli, et cetera. Are you it's interesting to say that when Super Pipo isn't going to attack Chucks. Oh man, he's he's probably going to be uh, <laughs> hanging out in half and offside for half the game. You know? Yeah, he'll yeah no he'll he'll just be offside. No, it is it is interesting though what you were talking about Sergio when you were talking about Ramsey because what a difference a week makes. I mean Sergio, you and I were were standing hard for the way Ramsey played against Sampdoria, and he was invisible on in Rome to the point where I actually forgot to put him into my ratings until I proofread my article and realized he wasn't there. I forgot to put him in because he just didn't do anything. That was a bit of a a letdown performance, but 
then again, I think it was the whole team, really, not only not only Adam Ramsey. And you know, we can we can switch back to this if if you all want, because you know, obviously, massively, massively different performances from from the midfield duo of Adrian Rabio and, and Weston McKinney this time. You know, after their performance against Sampdoria, in which we were all like we we're all singing their praises this time. You know, kind of like they, they couldn't really control the midfield as well as they did, obviously because Roma is just better than Sampdoria. And because, you know, I think that they kind of took that, get the ball really quickly to its maximum expression and ended up being just, just really, really couldn't really control the tempo of the game. Obviously the midfield is something that was vastly different, much like the team performance as a whole from one week to the next. And we'll kind of transition into the, upcoming fixture with that there's a huge cloud hanging over the game to begin with seeing as Napoli's last opponent Genoa is now up to 14 confirmed coronavirus cases 10 of which are players so obviously Napoli is going to be tested hard even more so than they have been for the next week and as we're talking about before we go on who knows when you know, if there are any cases, when exactly along the process those will actually show. So who knows what certain players or just Napoli as a whole status is for the weekend. But is the midfield getting back to more of what it was two Sundays ago, the biggest thing that Juventus need to do, knowing how Napoli played against Juve last year, where it was very much what hurt Juventus in, in the Roma draw where it was just counterattack, counterattack, and then guess what? More counterattack. I think it depends on who plays because, you know, Rabio is going to be suspended. So the question becomes, will it be Artur? Will it be Bentancur? And as Andrea Pirlo raised in his post-match press conference on Sunday night, there are match fitness questions about both of them. Pirlo actually giving voice to the fact that Rodrigo Bentancur was whipped to death after the restart to the point where they actually have him on a separate training regimen. Son was tired. <laughs> he, he really was. It, it, it certainly speaks to why some of the weird errors were creeping into his game at the end of the restart that we normally didn't see. But between that and the fact that Artur really hasn't played in a couple of months it's not quite as bad a situation as Rabio had when he came in last year but you know he didn't really play after the restart at all either so you're looking at two guys both of whom can be much more of a creative outlet in the midfield like Hunter was talking about and Benton Core with the added benefit of also having really good defensive chops to go with it the question really becomes who 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 plays that role and how much are they up for? Because, you know, with Rabio out and no one else really in the, looking at center midfield, looking at you, Sammy Kadira, I don't, you don't deserve your money, go away. It's going to be interesting. Weston McKinney is probably going to have to play the full 90 because I don't think, e- I don't think either Artur or Benta have it in their legs. So it, it comes down to how, they dove how well they dovetail together the three of them because I think all we'll see all three on the pitch for for a decent amount of time. It 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 depends on how well 
that replacement player goes in and does his job and how long they can go for. I get like that Benton curve, whatever, I, like you got run into the ground pretty hard, but man, if you, if you can't get into shape for 90 minutes after like three weeks, I just don't, that's like a lot. It's been a, it's been a long time to me. I, I feel like, I hope that, you know, maybe he'd be up for 90. I think, I think that assuming that they're, that Arthur and uh, Bentecourt can, can go, you know, do something, I would start those two. I would have Bentecourt uh, right in front of the back three since he can cover a little bit more ground. And I have, I'd have Arthur um, a little bit kind of further, further ahead. And then whichever one is like needing, uh, you know, a break, I would slot in McKinney and then move the other one uh, in front of defense. I think we also, against Romo, you also did see Ramsey finally start tracking back a little bit more and helping move the ball forward and also helping defensively. So I, I think there's a world in which Ramsey probably doesn't play as a, as a double pivot necessarily, but which, you know, in the, the injury situation, red card situation that we're currently in where he could help out something, you know, back there. Let the record show that I'm uh, glad that somebody else has taken on my uh, negativity role. So <laughs> I'm innocent, Your Honor. I'm innocent. Oh, finally. Praise Jesus. But just a, a note on uh, um, note of sympathy towards Bentangu. We should remember that in 2019, uh, in the summer of 2019, he did play in the Copa America tournament, which I'm always, you know, I always try to be aware of South American players. First of all, just the last, was it four years really, where we just had a really crazy schedule of Copa America tournaments where they just tried to shoehorn everything into like almost consecutive seasons. And then, well, no, that was the thing. They transitioned from doing the Copa in even years to odd years. So then they did that kind of now, Plus, then there was the 2016 centenary in um, in the U.S., which I'm still a little uh, peeved off about. That was in the U.S., but I digress. But yeah, so I mean, I do try and have some uh, sympathy about you know to, towards Bentancur that he's had to do all that traveling, of course, and then a summer tournament when you know everybody else didn't have one. But yeah, I mean, in terms of just the approach towards Napoli, well, I guess it's again back to the kind of decisiveness, indecisiveness thing, which is, I don't know, how do you defend against counterattacks? Do you either just make sure you have so much possession that they can never counterattack? In which case, you'd want to put more possession-oriented technical players on, like Arthur and Bentancur. Which kind of rhymes, actually. Or do, do you want to accept the fact that you are going to be counter, countered against multiple times in the game and then say, okay, well... Let's just make sure that because with a counterattack, essentially, a counterattack just bypasses midfield. Like you, you know, you, you win the ball back in your own half, and you just essentially bypass midfield and go straight into the forward line. So, do you just want to make sure that you have players that can be back in time by the time that the ball is, you know, bypasses midfield and is one on one with the defenders? Do you want to have players that are fast enough? to get back there in time or just players that will do the cynical fouls to make sure that frankly that can't even happen uh, in which case we need Arturo Vidal but uh, we don't have him but yes yeah, so I, don't, I don't know I think it, it really depends on 
what approach philosophically you want to take, which I, I don't, frankly, I don't know. I don't know what the right approach would be, but whatever the case, Pirlo just has to pick one and not go with this Roma approach of like, well, I kind of want to have everyone here. And then, you know, it's kind of try and do everything that, you know, the worst decision is indecision. I, I think, you know, I agree kind of like with, with what, what all of you said, really. I think I, I would like to see both Arthur and, and Benton Gurby given the, the start. I think when, when they both came in against Roma, despite being one man down, I think they, they kind of held the, held the forward pretty well. I, I liked what I saw. I especially liked what I saw for a couple moments there from Arthur. He, obviously, you know, he... He it wasn't his you know it was his debut but he came in with like a one man down obviously we're not gonna see the best of him immediately but he did have a couple couple moments couple chances where he kind of dribbled out of out of pressure he kind of did a couple things that were like okay this I can see why like why they were so high on him when they when they traded it from traded him for Marilyn Pjanic so I, I, it'd be interesting to see and I agree a hundred percent with Hunter there like. I get it. You, you played a lot, but he's also like in his early twenties and he rested for three weeks. I think, okay. Like I understand that they ran you to the ground, but I'm, I would expect that he, he can go for, for the full 90 minutes. I would hope so at least. And if not, I mean, I guess we'll see a little bit more of, of Weston McKinney who kind of crashed a little bit back into the, into, into the ground after we're, thinking he was the second coming of Edgar Davids after his performance in against Sampdoria. But, you know, I think he crashed a little bit after that. So, I mean, I, I would like to see how he bounces back from that because he definitely, he was a bit more of what we were expecting of him when we started, which was a guy with a lot of talent, with a lot of energy, but that's kind of still rough, that kind of like positionally still not super polished. And I think we kind of saw that guy a little bit more against Roma. So, I would, I mean, if they are fit and if they're available, I would love to see Arthur and Benton Kurt together and see what they can do. Yeah, I would like to say just on the McKinney situation, the number of comments I have seen both in our forum and elsewhere on the idea that McKinney on the back of one good game and one bad game is is definitively not good enough for Juventus is absolutely freaking ridiculous. Sample sizes, people. Are we not doing sample sizes anymore? <laughs> what is statistics? What is um, statistics? I find that take to be a bit too hot to handle for anybody making it right now. But Artur, what, what you were saying about Sergio Artur kind of dribbling out of pressure, ironically enough, and I said this on my rating, Rabio was doing the same thing. Like there were at least three times in that first half where I saw Rabio like get pressed really hard by a guy and just strength him away and keep possession of the ball. You know, with, with the exception of that handball and, you know, later, later on down the line with the red, which I, again, didn't particularly agree with, he didn't play a bad game. That's it would be really interesting. <laughs> if you um, take away the PK he gave away and the fact that yeah. he got red carded, yeah, <laughs> great, great game from the guy, but... Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. He he had a couple couple of good moments there where, where he yeah. did manage to dribble out of pressure, which is something yeah. that we we didn't really have last year from him. Yeah, it would be it would be very interesting to see you know uh, almost a, a kind of a rotation where he's playing kind of as the hard guy, 
and Bentancourt and Artur kind of rotating in as the the creative guys in midfield. So I will direct our first Twitter question to the man who is driving our blogs, Weston McKinney fan bus, and that is Hunter from at Davey underscore Hova. How can Weston McKinney improve? How can Weston McKinney improve? I think that he should go to practice during the week with the other players and with Pirlo, <laughs> and that that will be the first key to improving. Listen, Sampdoria just got absolutely drugged by Benevento. So I think that, like, you know, the, the expectations set after week one, it was funny. I, I wrote the piece about McKinney. People were like, oh, you're so stupid, Hunter. Very used to that. But I was like, I'm, gonna, I'm telling you, he's, he's not going to be useless. Then they were all like, oh, McKinney's so good. Failed to mention me saying that he was going to be good, but you know I'm not I'm not sore about it or anything. Comes out against Roma. It's a really it's a really rough game. I I don't like pin. I th- I feel like it was more of an approach issue, kind of with the team as a whole. We talked about like Quadrado on the left, Kulisevsky at wing back. Like what the 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 you know heck is going on with with the whole approach? That said. You know, McKinney, this, that was literally his second game at Juventus. He's been here – he's been in Italy like a few weeks. He's like taking Italian lessons and getting his dogs settled in whatever villa he's at. You know, like I, I think that, uh, you know, saying, oh, he's so inconsistent or he's not Juve material, is, it's almost like beyond uh, even being something that should be addressed, but I think it's just going to take time. He he has a particular skill set like Liam Neeson, and I, you know, I think it's just going to be developed <laughs> over time. Uh, I, I think that I here's here's what I think. I think eventually Benton Kerr and Arthur are going to be the the two guys who need to be there every time. Rabio is is turning into to a really good, really really an important player as well. I think that McKinney's role on this team will be a very, very lethal role tactically against certain teams or a really, really important substitution against certain teams in certain situations. We saw against Sam that he, he can win the ball back and he does really, really do that well. And he is a wolf out on the hunt. He makes for the most part, the intelligent, pass and keeps the ball moving those are important traits and they're going to be really really important traits against uh, a lot of teams so i think it's just going to take time but that he'll fit in great sergio next one is for you from at ma ross you died have no idea how to pronounce that so forgive me but uh are fabrota or mattia de Ciglio greater than Luca Pellegrini, and why does why did Pirlo choose Quadrado over the rest on the left? You know the Quadrado thing, like, like we talked about. I think that was just getting cute with it. I I understand that Quadrado is kind of like a dynamic type of guy, probably one of the guys that are most suited to a wing back position in this squad. Like I get trying to to fit him into that that team, but you know he's just not a natural there. So why did they do it? I don't know because. Peerless tinkering with things. I mean, I have no idea why, but 
if I had to guess, I'd say he's tinkering with things. He just kind of wanted Cuadrado in the team, despite not it being his natural position. Probably, I think it's fair to say it was a failed experiment. I don't think we'll see that very often because, you know, what we got was a fairly defangled Juan Cuadrado. I mean, he didn't really bring a lot forward. I mean, he couldn't cross. He, he couldn't really do much on that left wing. So actually the team looked significantly better the moment Frabota came into the came into the game, despite the fact that he played like 15, 20 minutes. But he was like significantly better in that position because that is his natural position. So I expect Frabota to, to be kind of like the guy to hold the fort there. Why they picked him over Pellegrini, I don't know. You know, I think we do tend, and I will cop to this. I think, you know, we sometimes tend to, like, overvalue our prospects. You know, it kind of became a running joke. But I did think Marco Piaca was going to be, like, really, really good. And he might not be that good. And we just kind of, like, you know, we, we I don't know, we sometimes overrate our guys. Maybe Andrea Pirlo didn't really think that highly of him, you know. Could be, but what we've saw, what we've seen so far from from Fabrota is, is you know promising. I, I would like to see him get more minutes and and see if he can kind of like develop into a guy that that can be like a starting eleven caliber of guy. Because at this point, Mattia De Siglio is who he is. I mean, you know, hopefully he gets some, you know, he stays healthy and he can fill in from time to time. But I wouldn't really think of him as as the guy or the answer at that spot. I don't, I don't really see him as that. I think we have plenty of evidence to show he's an adequate player, but I, I wouldn't really bet on him being, being like great at any point. Sorry, can I quickly make a quick, quick comment just on uh, what Sergio said on the Cuadrado thing. I mean, what I've noticed with managers when they make really unusual decisions, like really uh, just surprising uh, lineup decisions, it's, often to like counter a very, very specific threat from the opposition. And so, okay, I looked at Roma's lineup, but then I'm trying, I'm just looking at it, I'm thinking, okay, on Cuadrado's side, he had Davide Santon, Gianluca Mancini, and well, Pedro Rodriguez. So, I don't know. I mean, maybe Pirlo was trying to, maybe he was worried about that kind of, let's see, that's a Roma's right side. Maybe he was worried about some kind of really specific threat from that side and he wanted more defensive solidity. I don't know. I don't know. That, that's kind of just the potential, just another theory, perhaps. But uh, yeah, sorry to interrupt there. It's okay, Chuck. So I'm sending the next one right, right back to you. From at Football Alex, and that's FTBL, how it's spelled football. Thoughts on Danilo playing as a center back? Uh, so far, so surprisingly good, actually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> honestly, uh, very surprisingly. I really did not think that would work. But once again, small sample size, two games. But, I mean, the sample size against a very tough opposition here, which is Roma. And, I mean, he honestly did quite well. Good assist. Did get burned a few times by Spinazzola, who really just had him for footwork. Very good footwork. I have to say he had a few times uh, Spinazzola. Speaking of former prospects, of course. But, yeah, no, I think Danilo, uh, so far, pretty decently well. I mean, you know, he's obviously a right back by trade, but it's kind of a playing that, you know, it reminds me of that Liechtensteiner role, who also did essentially the same thing, was that right-sided center back and pseudo right back at the same time when, you know, defensively, maybe, you know, Cuadrado 
in this case, Guadalajara draw back and then they'll form a four, four-man back line and then Danilo kind of shifts across again to the right, to the right back position. But yeah, I mean, I think he's fast enough to handle the position defensively. I mean, he does obviously have backup from Bonucci and Chiellini. So, you know, I think if he were a center back in a four man, like a really, really specifically four man back line, then I think we would have had a little more issues to handle. But I think the burdens kind of spread across the three of them. And I think that does do him well. I'm not really sure if it's something I want to make permanent though, but I mean, it probably won't be once the lift comes back. So that's, you know, that should be all right. But uh, so far, so decently well. And oh, can I make a quick random comment as well? Um, of course, <laughs> just, uh, just the point about the Copa America being in the US. The only gripe I had with that was that, you know, it was the 100 year anniversary of the world's oldest competition in oldest international competitions it started in 1916 in Argentina, I believe it was. And I mean, I was like, come on, the 100 year anniversary of the oldest, most illustrious competition that actually, if you ask historians, led pretty directly to uh, the World Cup being formed. And then, you know, you take it outside the continent. Come on, come on. But anyway, just money, 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 money. money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, I didn't. Any of the fellow Americans on on the Zoom call want to challenge Chuck's anti-American stance? Clearly, no, nope. <laughs> <laughs> Where else were they going to play like in such a storied soccer place like MetLife Stadium or all those? <laughs> like, I mean, the story in those places, if, man. All those Gold by, Cup matches. I mean, that's if just by storied you mean if you, by storied you mean places you can cram multiple humans into at once while they pay exorbitant ticket prices. Then yeah, man. I mean, the stories <laughs> that pitch has, man. All those Gold Cup matches with like Honduras and, and El Salvador and all like that. You, you can't buy that. That's storied venue right there. Certainly more history than a place like, I don't know, the Azteca, right, Sergio? <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. What have we gotten? I was I expecting mean, the uh, withering scorn I'm, of uh, Hunter to, uh, to I mean, the, uh, the, hit me there. And you had that, that big Women's World Cup match in 1999 that was, like, right in the parking lot in the old stadium next door. Like, you know. All right, Sam, over to you. From at Bachisabi, why does... Mary Demerol continue continuously be underutilized and let's just throw out the caveat there. Mary Demerol is still working his way back. At least we think from, from major knee surgery. That's, that's what I think is most, it, it mostly is, is working his way back from a really major knee injury. And, you know, when you compare the fact that, you know, Nicolo Zaniolo was hurt in that same game came back a lot sooner than Demerol did, and look what just happened there. I think they know how important Demerol is going to be this year, especially with, you know, Chiellini is going to have his, need to have his minutes managed. He's definitely not going to be playing twice a week when Champions League comes around. I think the team knows how important he's going to be as a, as a rotational piece this year, and they are not taking chances and they're not rushing him i don't remember this off the top of my head but i don't think demerol played in a three-man back line very much at sassuolo and i also i do think that there's a, an element of 
getting him used to that in training because it does take slightly different, you know, it's, it's different playing in a back three than in a back four and you have to get used to it. So I think that's all, that's also a, an issue, but for the most part, I think it's just being very, very careful with his knee so as not to have a situation where they're really strapped in the back if he has a recurrent, if he has a relapse of any sort of knee issue. And all of a sudden you're, you're looking at, at a situation where you're really under on your depth at center back and, or you cut the Daniele Rugani sail train short again, because there, because you just need him as a body because Rugani, I think is, almost almost done with Valencia from what I understand um we'll see it it never actually comes to fruition but uh just really funny because I think Rugani was writing about Daniele Rugani was I think the first article I ever wrote on this blog like when Danny Danny when you signed me on I think like a profile of Rugani was the first thing that I did he was um he was our great defensive hope before a certain Dutchman came along before we, before we, you know, before a certain Moroccan came along and took all the playing time that he should have been getting in that second year that he was with the team, but I digress. It's all the bloody yeah. foreigners. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the the human mental error, uh, Medi Benatia. But I digress. Demiral, I think they're just babying the knee. I really think that's it, that's what it comes down to. Side note on. Benatia, before we get to our last question here real quick, the uh, official Champions League account when Morata was announced, they tweeted out a video of that great run he had against Bayern Munich in the Champions League. And Benatia was not only played like a full once by Morata, but then right before Quadrado made contact with the ball to score the goal, Quadrado basically just shielded him away. So (laughs) wonderful memories with Mehdi Benatia. So last question is for everybody here and you guys can decide who goes first, but from at Michael underscore Blinn, and I think that's Blinn, but it's a one instead of an I. What's your ideal midfield pairing in the three four, or the yeah three four one two? I'll go first, Governor. Well, so it's funny because you say midfield pairing, but really you say three four one two. I see that one here, given the discussion we had about just that that one behind the. Who should play behind those two? I see that one behind the two as a midfielder as well. So I'm going to say a midfield trio then. And to me, my personal stance on on midfields, on central midfields, is uh, three man center midfields. I should say is that you want, yeah, you want three roles. You want a destroyer, you want a passer, and you want a runner. So ideally, then I'm going to pick each one for that for those roles. I'll say a destroyer as McKinney, man. I'd say a, ooh, a passer, probably as Arthur, and then yeah, runner. I guess Ramsey, but uh, well, I'd say Arthur slash Rabio, and then Ramsey. Fifty-fifty on that on that second one. So I think that the best pair for the double pivot probably will end up being Arthur and Bentancourt, and if you want to throw in the guy in the hole as well. I really would like to see what my large adult son, Dan Kulusevsky, would bring to that spot. It gets him closer to goal, and it, like you said, Sergio, before, brings a, a lot more energy to that press there. So I would put him there and see what happens. 
Yeah, I didn't know that we could cheat and change the question to three midfielders you, instead you, of two. You, know, but... you got these Dutchmans on the pod, and you know they take a week off, and suddenly they think they can run the Twitter question segments. Pretty disgusting stuff, but uh... <laughs> go on then, Hunter. Go on. <laughs> uh, go on then, mate. <laughs> I'm going to, yeah, this, this stupid caveat is I think it can depend on who, who the opponent is. But I think generally I would agree with Sam for the double pivot. Benton Coor in front of defense and Arthur a little bit ahead of him. But I think Benton Carabio could look great. That That's a lot of physicality. I'm interested if it ever is more of a three-man midfield to see McKinney as a third midfielder with a little bit less pressure on him. But yeah, I, I agree with Sam that Benton Kerr and Archer makes the most sense. And if I'm uh, using the, the cheating uh, trucks rule, I think I, I, you, you've got to have Kulisevsky on the field, uh, not at wing back, but either in the hole or as a second striker. I just, I think that kid's dynamite. I think you need, you need him on the field. He's one of the few, you know, he's one of the attackers who's going to also um, press the heck out of uh, the opposition. Yeah, I agree 100% with, with Hunter on that, that, that Kulusevsky has to play. You know, I think Ramsey can, can slot in there, but, but I mean, the kid's just too good to have him on, on the bench or, or to have him, you know, just with his talents wasted on, the, on that wing back spot. So, yeah, I would definitely love to see Kulu there. And for the... You know, for the other two spots, I think Bentinker has to be there. And I would like to actually, I would like to see Rabiot instead of Arthur. I mean, but just because Rabiot has been kind of like showing me a little bit more, obviously he's been longer with the team and Arthur played 15 minutes. So that's kind of unfair of me, but I, I, I like Rabiot. I like what I've seen of him. And I think he just has such a higher ceiling. Like, I, I think he can be, he could definitely be like a, a top, top midfielder with Juventus. So. I would like to see him there. And, you know, just little quick shout out before we wrap it up. Just Bernard Desky, why aren't we starting him as, as a wing back, as a right wing back? I mean, he's still on the team. We're still paying the guy. I mean, maybe give him a shot there. I think he's hurt right now. Yeah, we'll see when he comes back from injury. That is correct. Thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, whenever he does come back. <laughs> Closing it on, a, on a, an awesome take there. But yeah, whenever he does come back. <laughs> Minus 10 like points for Gryffindor. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> ten points. Completely forgot he got injured. True, true that. True that. Well, I, I'm going to let you live for that one, Andrea Pirlo. We're not starting. Better go over my desk. <laughs> <laughs> all right on take that stance I, I stand by that take he should right. play there hard take a hard stance and die with it sergio all right we'll wrap things up on that note i want to thank everybody for the twitter questions as we said last week a decent amount of them came up just in our natural conversation so if you asked about the left back position or how paulo dibala and ronaldo might fit into everything together you know, we talked about it. So thank you for asking regardless. But yeah, you can send Twitter questions, even if we don't ask for them, to at Juventus Nation. As always, you can find us on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Like, subscribe, and review. You can also listen to us and subscribe on, on Spotify and Google Podcasts. Just want to thank uh, everybody here for their contributions, as always. 
and for Hunter, especially for jumping on during a time where, as I know, being a fellow homeowner, the first few months are quite, quite the hurricane of things to do. So thank you specifically Hunter for, for hopping on with us. And My man. That's, we decided to, to get the six chickens just because we didn't feel like there was enough going on. So exactly. A few, a few birds in the back <laughs> everywhere. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Pooping everywhere. <laughs> Am I not supposed to curse? I don't know the curse rules. I, I re- refrained earlier. The good thing for you, Hunter, is that I just figured out how to edit curse words. So. Yeah, I got bleeped last week. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, you probably shouldn't have told me that because next time I'll, I'll <laughs> we'll have to go through with a fine tooth comb. What <laughs> gates have opened. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's just going to be 50, 50 expletive bleeps from here on out. So for, for Sam, for Chucks, for Sergio, and for our cursing expert hunter, the foul mouth Texan hunter. Oh, get it? Foul mouth? Chicken. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep, there yep. you go. We are wordsmiths after all. So <laughs> this is Danny saying thank you very much for listening. Stay safe out there, and we'll catch you guys next week.